Fantastic Pixel Castle and Frog Pants Studios presents Word on the Street with Greg Street and Scott Johnson. Oh man, Greg, look at us on microphones getting ready to talk about stuff. How are you feeling over there? This is cool. We're really doing it. I've been looking forward to this. I have too. I've been secretly looking forward to this idea for a lot longer then you started this uh, new company or even left your previous employers. I always had it in my head. There was going to be some opportunity for me and Greg street to sit down and talk on a regular basis. And we finally figured out a way. <laughs> the way is I make my own company. So there's no PR people. to interfere. <laughs> That's right. I don't have to email through anybody. I have to wait for approvals. None of that stuff. Neither do you. We can just go for it and uh, paint the wall, see what comes of it. Uh, thrilled to be here though with you. So, uh, uh, very excited to have you here. The thing is people know your name, right? Greg street. They know your name more than they know mine. And why do they know it? Because the name ghost crawler was infamous back in the day still is. And part of the reason your name was infamous is because you were a guy who could be counted on to sort of say things the way they were PR, notwithstanding half the time. Um, if, if Greg had a thought or a controversial decision that was made about a video game, he was often going to say it. And then people might, you know, have various levels of freaking out or whatever. In fact, it was a, one of my live shows in, in uh, at BlizzCon one year where you announced a very controversial thing happening to oh, World of Warcraft yeah. at the time. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. It was uh, flying that we were not no longer just going to like let fly, love flying happen in, in new content. Yeah, we were going to you had to earn it. You had to go through a bunch of hoops to yeah. to fly again, and you you made the first utterance of it at this at this recording, and I, and I felt for like the next two months, it's almost all anybody wanted to talk to us about. So you had this power of like, well, Greg says a thing, now we're all going to scramble and figure out what the crap he means, or why would they do this, or why wouldn't they do this? Uh, you were equal parts, I think, sometimes uh, honest and and uh, you know the the guy saying it like it was, and at the same time. Some of those were things that people thought they didn't like or whatever. And I don't think gamers were used to that. They weren't used to that kind of relationship. So today's going to be a lot about that. You oh, know? cool. And about how your your willingness to talk uh, is, I don't know, translating into a whole new way of running a, uh, a AAA developer. Uh, for those at home or just checking this out, going, oh, wait a minute, what are you guys talking about? Well, let me explain. Uh, Fantastic Pixel Castle is the name of the new dev uh, company. Uh, you founded this. How long has it been now? You've been at it for a bit, right? I think March or April. I was employee one. Right. And on that day, I mean, I know you had probably people in mind, but was there a moment where you were like, oh, I'm doing this. I'm actually doing this thing, this Greg Street headed thing. It's no longer somebody else's company. That's going to be, it's going to be me and, and my people. Did that hit oh, you yeah, at some it, point? It was wild because that was not, my intent when I, when I left riot, I was like, okay, I need a job. And I, you know, I talked to a bunch of the, you know, the usual suspects, first party studios. Um, and I talked to a lot of like VC types to, for funding. And it, it took a while before I realized, wait, I could probably do this. It was mm -hmm. not, it was not a plan. It just kind of happened. Wow. And, and no regrets yet. Right. <laughs> You're feeling good about this all this. The happiest I've been in my career. I mean, yeah, I know it's going to get harder down the road and there will be challenges, but so far, you know, it makes me wish I'd done it years ago. You used to say, um, what was the old phrase? I'm, oh, I'm Greg Ghostcaller Street. I'm off the chain and you're listening to the instance you used to say. Yeah, yeah. Or you're off the leash. That's what it was. You're totally off the leash. And it feels like you're there in a, in a creative career way, you are, you really off the leash, like whatever those leashes were, they're all the leashes we all deal with in our work -a days or whatever. But yeah. this is you with a, with a fresh slate and we'll get into who you've chosen to be with you and that sort of thing. And, and especially down the road on this podcast, we're going to talk to creators within the team. We're going to talk to artists, engineers, designers, some familiar names, some unfamiliar names, but they seem like an amazing crew. Was that hard to do that bit to get that assembled? I thought it was going to be a lot harder than it was. I thought I was going to have to like beg people to take a chance and things like that. And um, I mean, part of it was the prospect of, hey, we can make our own company. We can make our own game. We can do whatever we want. 
But honestly, the remote aspect of it helped a ton. Mm -hmm. Kind of the first time in my career, I didn't have to say, hey, do you want to move to California and drag your family, you know, across Mm -hmm. the country to hope it works out? Sure. Yeah, no, I uh, I mean, it, it seems to me, I could be totally wrong on this, but from the outside looking in, covering game stuff the way that I do and my shows do, it seems like the remote workplace stuff worked out pretty well for a lot of devs. Um, not all, and some of the bigger yeah. ones are demanding they come back and justify huge leases on gigantic buildings and, and campuses and things like that. But for the most part, especially smaller dev teams, have really thrived in this environment um, and not felt like they had to give up everything and move across the country to get it done. Uh, yeah, and all I mean, of that. Signing up with a new company is inherently risky and it just compounds the risk when, when you're saying, Hey, sell your house, um, you know, take your kids out of school, whatever. So I, I think it just helped for, it's still a risk to join a startup like we're doing, but it, it's less of a risk when people say, well, if it doesn't work out, you know, I'm still here in my community, in my neighborhood, all of that. Yeah, I think that stuff's... In, I mean, we're at a place techn- technologically where why, why the heck not, right? And yeah. given all the tools that we have. So before we move any further uh, down the the uh, the rabbit hole that is more about Fantastic Pixel Castle, even where the name came from, which I do want to ask you, let's dig a little deeper into your past. Greg, uh, I knew your name before... Blizzard and World of Warcraft, I knew it from Ensemble Studios. That's where I knew it. I was a gigantic fan of Age of Empires 2, which you had a massive hand in, uh, and other games. Let's talk about that history for a second and how that maybe informs where where you're at today. At at the very least, do you feel like your time at Ensemble and at Blizzard and at Riot, I mean, obviously there are lessons there that you can take with you and move forward. Um, is there anything in particular about those experiences where you're like, I know what I want to do for my for my new studio? Oh, oh, 100%. All three of those places placed a big premium on wanting to be a great place to work. They didn't they didn't always succeed, but that was a goal. They they wanted to be a place that you wanted to be and wanted, you know, wanted wanted to settle down and maybe retire from. Mm. Um, they all cared a lot about the employees. And they all cared a lot about players. Like they viewed players are the stakeholders. It's all about like making a game that delights players. If you if you lose sight of that, you know, like what are you doing? Why are you in that this business? And so, I've, yeah, I've tried to keep all of that. I think there's a there's a commitment to quality that all three had, where they said it. it you know, it's more important to get it right than it is to like hit a date. Um, not everyone is gonna be the right person for these companies. Um, there's, you know, supposedly they try to maintain a really high quality bar. And I think all of that, yeah, I mean, I joked a minute ago about, I should have done this a long time ago. I don't know if I could have, like, I don't know if I would have had the, the, you know, the background and the experience to do it if I hadn't gone to those three companies first. Yeah. It feels like there's a lot of dues paying and sort of just having that yeah. experience. I could understand that. Um, but if we go back even further, I'm, I, I know people bring this up a lot. I can't help it. But when you started out in life, in your professional young life, you were aiming to be a marine biologist. Do I have that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I was a marine biologist. I got my degree. I had a job. I was publishing papers. Um, the story I often tell is that being a scientist sucks. It doesn't pay well. You have very limited limited kind of freedom. Um, you kind of go where the jobs are, and the jobs are not necessarily where you'd want to live very, very competitive to even get those jobs. And the only reward is you really, really have to love what you do. And they do. And, you know, I'm still friends with scientists and they love it. Sure. And I felt like I don't love it. Like it's, it's fine. It's good. But I would go home and play video games and they would go back to their, you know, to their labs and work on their experiments or whatever. And I felt like, like I'm stealing the seat for someone who really desperately wants to be here. Mm. And that when I came to that realization, I'm like, I have to get out. Like I, this is not right that I am sitting in the seat that's, you know, hundreds of people out there probably desperately want. And what do I like to do? Well, I really like to play games. I mean, I really like to make games. Maybe, maybe I could turn that into a career. Sure. Did you, do you feel like the skill sets, uh, the, the schooling, everything else, uh, lend itself well to game development after all that? There were two skills that helped a ton. One is, as a scientist, you really learn how to look at data, how to read statistics. And 
I was encountering a lot of like, uh, you know, business people and they learn statistics in a really different way and, you know, often a far less robust way. So interpreting the data, I think I, I brought that of, you know, we can go a little bit deeper. We can actually try to figure out what's going on here and not look at this, you know, look at this surface level of, of like pie charts and, um, you know, PowerPoint presentations. And then the other one is communication. Like the real key to being a scientist is you have to be a good communicator because if you learn something and you can't share it with the broader community, it's, you know, you're not really doing science. It's all the information is going to be lost. So Mm. you have to figure out how to communicate, you know, briefly, objectively, call out the risks, be honest where, where you need to be. And I think that did suit me really well going into gaming. Interesting. There's a there's a paragraph on your website uh, over at fantasticpixelcastle.com. Everybody should go there, bookmark the sites where all the information about the upcoming codename Ghost MMO will be, uh, as well as the show and other places. Uh, but you have something written there called uh, uh, examples. Uh, one of the examples from the site, partner with players. And this goes yeah. back to something you said earlier and also I think fits well with what you just said about your previous experience. Every iteration takes our game to new heights. Partnering with our players builds trust and helps us embrace a wealth of diverse perspectives. Players play our game as soon as, it, uh, sorry, play play our game as soon as it's meaningful, which empowers us to make changes sometimes even big ones, when things aren't working. We talk about our vision, goals, and intentions with players so they can help shape the game through meaningful discussion. It then says, finally, uh, everyone is empowered to uh, and supported in engaging with players if they want to, and we always have a way to get player feedback on our work. Um, a, a nice foundational concept there. How will you guys be different than the typical, how do I explain this without throwing any particular people under the bus? But like a, a lot of games journal or uh, not journalism, a lot of games presentation is somebody getting out in front of the game, sometimes on a stage and saying, we hear you. Players are the backbone of our thing. Without you, we're not, you know, they, there's a lot of platitudes around that sort of thing. And usually the downside is you don't see as much action around those words as you do just the words themselves. How how do you guys intend to be different in that way and to truly partner with players without them actually being on your Zoom calls with your team? And, and who knows? Maybe we'll get to the point where we're on Zoom calls with the team. But I think it's easy to listen and everyone can say they're listening and you, you don't even know if they are or not. But it's the, it's the kind of talking back, I think, that makes the difference. Um, you can say, yeah, we hear you. Or you can say oh, I understand why that quirk in matchmaking is a problem and here's why it's hard to fix, but here's some ideas we have that, that we want to try to fix. Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of game developers kind of don't take it to that next step. They feel like, I mean, for one, it's hard, right? Like players could be mean. It's hard to stick your neck out there and, and you know, read awful things about yourself and your, your family. Um, it's also, it could be a big distraction. And one of the first mistakes any like new developer does when they go out there is drink from the fire hose. And then that kind of becomes their job of, oh, I spent all day on Reddit or I spent all day on Twitter and I didn't actually like get any work done. Mm. Um, it's also easy to kind of become the celebrity where because the community is hanging on your every word, you want to entice them with little bits of, you know, hints or leaks here and there, which is not doing your overall strategy, you know, any, any service. And there, and there are risks. Like you can create a PR nightmare pretty easily by saying the wrong thing, even if it's, you know, tongue in cheek or an accident. Sure. Um, and then that becomes the story is, um, CEO of Fantastic Pixel Castle says something pretty racist, and that now becomes the story instead of let's talk about the game or something. Right, right. Yeah. And then and hopefully that doesn't happen. <laughs> no, I don't think it will. Well, I hope not. But, you know, the gaming press is hungry for fun yeah. stories like this. It sells just like any other part of journalism. So I, I totally get that fear and why that would be that would be a thing. In your AMA the other day, I think we got a pretty good taste of the tone you're setting and your team is setting uh, for how uh, transparent you want to be about the process of making this game. And all of those things you just mentioned are real challenges. You mentioned there's a celebrity aspect to it. You're one of those dudes. Like, like, yeah. it, or, like it or not, people look at, hear the name Ghostcrawler and they go, oh, 
I know that name and I know these things and I, and uh, and he's compelling and I want to find it, find out what he's going to do and say and everything else. And he's so the person that ruined world of Warcraft <laughs> and then went and ruined league of legends. <laughs> right. Right. You get blamed for, you get saddled with all sorts of stuff when you have that, that level. And it's also kind of not new in the games business, but it does feel like the last decade or so has seen the rise of kind of these superstars within organizations. And it seems like it's everywhere. Sony Studios has a bunch of studios where there are people who run certain games or certain properties who have elevated to this, this status. And really it's because we are communicating more directly with players. It is less about you just going to a Walmart and interfacing with a controller and saying, well, maybe I want this console for Christmas. Instead, it's a much more, how is this sausage made? And if I've ever heard a pitch for, we are going to let you have a camera aimed at our sausage in our, in our building while we make it, it's, it's you guys. Um, more, more than anything else I've seen, that feels like a lot of responsibility and maybe, maybe a thing that gets tweaked over time. I guess I'd ask if you're worried about that at all, becoming, you, you guys becoming so transparent that you're, you're, you've, you've become too transparent. I don't know what the word for this is. Are you worried yeah, about that? We do talk about it. There's, there's a risk that it takes a lot of time or we're constantly like putting out fires or players say, well, you used to listen to us, then you stopped what happened. Um, if we announce like, Hey, we're working on this class idea this week. And then in two weeks we're like, yeah, that class didn't work. There will be probably a few hundred players who are like, no, I love that idea. You have to give it another shot. And that, and that takes time to deal with. Yeah. So our, I love, you know, the reason I'm okay taking risks is I love to have mitigation plans. And so one of our mitigation plans is, look, we might have to talk less. I hope not, but that's, you know, we can go out to the community and say in all transparency, Hey, we have to make a game also. And we can't just be a, you know, a company that talks about making a game. We, we still have to make the game and we may have to talk less. I don't think we'd ever shut the cameras off completely, but you know, Maybe no one watches our, our cute little podcast here. Maybe no one goes to our AMAs and, and we could just do them, you know, fewer of them over time. That's a good point. Yeah. You, I uh, guess you adjust to whatever cadence is required down the road. And if it goes crazy, then you go crazy. And if it doesn't, you don't. So. And if players trust you and they believe what you're saying, then, you know, maybe you've earned a little bit of that respect where they'll say, well, they, you know, they want to talk to us, but they weren't making progress on their game. So <laughs> let them make the game. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's an interesting aspect of this. We're going to have to follow as we go forward, but a lot of people are going to tune into this because they want to hear how this game is getting made. Uh, right now you've got a code name for it. Ghost, probably not the final name. And, and did that just come from your, from your moniker ghost crawler? Is that where that came up in meetings or it whatever? It did. And honestly, I didn't even pick it. Um, <laughs> there was a time when there was like a list of, of studios and, and games and someone's like, Oh, let's just call it ghost. And as often happens that, you know, the name stuck. Sure. But I even told the team, like, I'm a little uncomfortable <laughs> with, I, I don't want this to be like Greg streets game. You know, it's, it's a team. It's, it's, it's our studios game. And I, I'm fine, you know, leveraging whatever, limited celebrity I have to help with the, the PR of it all. But I want people to join the studio because they're excited about it. Well, Brian Holinka can take a lot of that heat for you. He can tank. <laughs> yeah. Just let him tank the whole thing. Uh, speaking of which, I I know we're early, right? The company doesn't have any gameplay to show yet. You know, we're, we've got some cool concept art, lot, some yeah. some brief descriptive stuff on the sites and and that sort of thing. Um, but how in stone are things like uh, and not to retread a lot of what happened on the AMA, but like the Holy Trinity of tank DPS and, and healer. Um, or is, is that even part of the conversation? You guys aiming for something completely new? Like I, we don't have to get too much into the very specific weeds because we are early, but how much of this stuff is formed in your seasoned game de- designing brain at this stage? I mean, that was a particular example we talked about early. Um, I said this a little bit in the AMA, but I really think the way to make a game is you have to be very explicit where you're willing to innovate and very explicit where you don't want to innovate. Mm -hmm. Because if you try to innovate everywhere, like that's the recipe for the 10 year game. Um, We don't want it to take 10 years. So we, you know, we, we talked about it. I said, Hey, we could try to make Holy Trinity one of those areas we innovate. What are our chances of success of really coming up with a design that is not that, that is cool. What, um, you know, how long will it take? Do we want to kind of spend our points there? And we kind of came to the conclusion, 
Holy Trinity is okay. Like, yes, I'm sure we could make it better. Yes, it has flaws. We, we all know what those are. But let's spend our points instead making a lot of classes mm-hmm. and just saying, yeah, this dude's a healer, this one's a tank, and and players know what that means. Right. Yeah. And I- so it's, it's about like really calling your shots and deciding we're going to innovate in this space. We're not going to innovate in this space. Yeah. Is it... Is it- um, this, well, that's the whole point of the show is inside baseball. So I'm going to ask you an inside <laughs> baseball question. Uh, there probably is a temptation to want to rewrite the script sometimes, right? Like you've seen success, big successful games. You were involved with multiples of them. And World of Warcraft in particular in the MMO space is the king of the hill. And it has been since its its launch. Um, so a lot of people look to it and say, well, what, what does that game do? Therefore, we should be different in these ways, maybe Ooh. same in these ways. But I, but I always wonder if there's a temptation to say, oh, we've been doing that Trinity thing for too long. We got to come up with new ideas to the detriment of the plan, because turns out those ideas might be awesome already. And it's a solved problem. Like yeah. you're, you're trying to solve. There is no problem that someone already did it but you feel like you need to, to be different. Uh, do you guys feel that pressure there? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and already we've seen players that are like, Oh, well, if you have the Holy Trinity, I'm out, I'm not playing. Or if you do any sort of like tab targeting healing, or I don't know, I don't even know if I'll have loading screens, hopefully not. But people are like, Oh, if you have loading screens, I'm out. <laughs> and I mean, you can't avoid that to some extent. And sure. we, we aren't literally trying to make a game for every gamer in the world. There will be people who love the game and people who, who it's not their cup of tea. And, and that's fine. Um, and I, I really view a big part of my job is to keep the, you know, you know, when you go bowling and you're not very good at it, or you're a little kid and you put up the bumpers so that the, the ball doesn't go in the, in the gutter. I view a big part of my job is the bumpers of like, yeah, great idea. That's just not what we should be focusing on right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And some of that stuff can come over time, but it feels like you got some foundational stuff that goes into the ground first. And yeah, it's interesting yeah. because when I started the, um, you know, the, the riot MMO and I'm not going to give away any of their secrets or anything, but I felt like it was really important that everything comes from the team. So when we started, we had almost no, um, no design, no paradigm. And that I wanted that to bubble up from the, from the folks on the team. And, mm. and it did. Mm. Um, and so when I started the new studio, I said, I think we can move faster if I just say, look, here's the game pitch. And, and when I'm interviewing people, I'm just going to give them the game pitch and let them say, yeah, that sounds awesome. Or, or that's not that's not for me. I talked to an, an art lead who I was really excited about, was really excited about the, 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 um, the pitch. Yeah. And they said, well, look, I really want to do super realistic Dark Souls kind of art. And I'm like that's not the game. And he's like, cool, we'll stay friends, you know? And, yeah. and, and yeah. that was a very efficient conversation rather than him joining the studio and realizing down the road or trying to kind of push us in a direction that where we didn't want to go. Um, and, and so, yeah, TLDR, I kind of made a pitch for what the game would be. And, and as we started to recruit people said, look, this is the game. Does this sound like something you'd be interested in? Hmm. It sounds like a similar process hiring your new team now, right? Because they still need oh, to be, exactly. yeah, you want them to be interested in what you're making. Which yeah. actually brings up, this is a total side question, but it just popped in my head, so I'm going to do it. Uh, you said in the AMA that the plan was to use Unreal 5 as your engine. Mm-hmm. And that got a lot of people very excited, myself included. But we all do have a tendency to go, ooh, Unreal 5, realism. It's all about the smoke and the effects and the skin and everything's perfect and the faces and the mouths and all this. We, that, that's, that's usually the show off point for when, when Epic is trying to sell people on Unreal and they do a pretty good job of it. It's a very robust engine for those things. However, uh, when I think of MMOs, I think of some stylization that comes from the heart of whatever the art team is doing, you know, like, uh, the, we just found out recently that, um, uh, Samwise uh, Didier is leaving Blizzard after 32 years with the company. And so much of the look of every game they ever made is based on what that dude was drawing in the early 90s. Uh, it's hard to separate the two. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is, do you guys at this stage anyway, foresee a more stylized approach or are you leaning towards realism? It sounds like tonally, well, I guess we don't know that either, but where, which, where are you aesthetically aiming at the moment? 
I don't think it will be hyper-realism. Like, I don't think it will be, um, you know, Call of Duty, Madden level of, oh, it looks like a photograph. Mm. Um, there's a lot for Unreal we can leverage, like ambient life. You know, you see a flock of birds fly by, or the smoke looks really awesome, or the spell effects look really awesome. I think we can do that without having, like, a ridiculous cloth shader so that when you get a new cloak, it, you know, it, it, it shimmers in the light or, or shows battle damage or things like that. I mean, all of that is cool. It's just not the kind of decisions you make when you want a game with 50 classes and hundreds of enemies and large fighting and all that sort of thing. Right. Right. I don't, I don't want to say stylized meaning like, Oh, it's going to look like Fortnite because a lot of unreal games look like Fortnite mm. or, it's going to look like World of Warcraft because that's an MMO. I think there's a lot of room to have an art style that we can own. Um, I would really love it if you looked at a screenshot of Ghost, you know, way down the, the road when we sure. have a lot more art and say like, oh, yeah, I know what game that's from. Yeah, that is that is a, that's a cool thing. And an immediately recognizable thing like that is, is good. Also, there's something to be said for, you know, say what you want about WoW's quote unquote aging systems that game made a decision very early on as opposed to other MMOs of its time, uh, EverQuest 2 in particular, to not aim for for realism because the standard for that was going to change too quickly. Yeah. In other words, you know, realistic sort of faces, bodies, movements, whatever that you were trying to do in 2004 were going to look pretty darn rudimentary by today's standards. Yeah. So starting with something that was already a stylized version of your world and everything kind of was a cohesive part of that stylization, I think it served that game extremely well and given it oh, yeah. long, long legs. Um, so I would assume that fantastic pixel castle would be interested in something similar, not, not necessarily similar style per se, but being able to get the longevity, the unified look of everything, the unique look of everything to be your own deal. You know? Oh yeah, exactly. Like, it would be wonderful if we have a game that, you know, lasts 10, 10 years and beyond. We do want to think about that a little bit. And we don't want to be in a situation where every year we have to, like, redo all of the art because it looks dated. Right. And so picking something somewhat stylized is, is a great way to, to avoid that. And then even WoW has updated their art and their, even their engine over time to, to be able to, you know, it looks a lot better than it used to. Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. I was flying around in an old zone yesterday and, ooh, man, they've gotten better. That's some of that yeah, stuff. Sometimes you see an old model and you're like, whoa, I forgot. <laughs> right. But it's been a nice through line for them, I think, in that regard. And and I think planning planning that way is probably the smart way to uh, to do it. Um, I keep skipping over. We got a couple people in the chat asking, but where, so how did you settle on this name, the Fantastic Pixel Castle? Whose idea was it and, and why? It, it was, it was, I mean, I named it. I take, I take the full blame. Um, when, <laughs> when I, I Decided I was going to do a studio. One of the very first questions that came up was like, well, you got to name it. And they also said, naming is really hard because every good name is taken. And even if it's not an active studio, like someone is squatting on the website and it's going to be legal entanglement to, to, to get it out or anything like that. So when you think about all of the potential names you could get, I was playing for a while with something. I, I love the word Vorpal. And I was trying to play with that a little bit and find some variation. Um, so I thought... You know, if I pick a long name, chances are no one's going to own it. Mm. And I liked, I liked the word fantastic because it's a little, I mean, it makes big promises, but it also doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, you know, when you say something's fantastic, it, 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 it has certain connotation. Sure. And, and the word pixel, because we're making video games, right? Sure. I didn't want to say like, we're a multi, you know, entertainment company and here's our comic book line and stuff like that. Um, it's like, no, we're making, we're making video games. Sure. And then the uh, castle just had the, the sense of exploration and um, rooted a little bit in, in, in medieval fantasy. Um, you know, castles are, are fun to explore and they're always exciting when you see them. So I actually was playing with the word mystic at first too. It was going to be fantastic mystic pixel castle, oh. but people were like, dude, that's way too long. <laughs> and even the team I hired is like, Greg, we got to talk about the name. It's pretty long. Yeah. Um, but I kind of convinced them we're, we're going to call it FPC most of the time anyway, which we do. And studio names just don't matter that much. No. Like you, you, you focus a lot more on the the name of the game, and sometimes the name of the the studio. Either it, either it's one of those words you say so much that it kind of loses its meaning. Like mm -hmm. 
One of my favorite game companies is Rockstar, which like is an absurd studio name. Silly make, name. Yeah. yeah, but you think um, of it, you think of it and it's synonymous with some of the most successful franchises in the history of the planet. So yeah. that you're you're right. I think the branding will only it's only gonna matter when this thing takes off and then suddenly everybody thinks fantastic pixel castle the way they do with yeah. blizzard the way they do with bungie the way they do with yeah. valve whatever i mean what is valve from software what a silly name yeah, yeah valve from still bungie you know but, but yeah. people get used to it yeah from and valve what what the heck but <laughs> but but we see but we hear those names we know exactly what we're talking about yeah. and we immediately go ah those are those are they got it right so I, I i totally agree with you although i think all those extra characters would have made for a weird website that, that's all i got to <laughs> yeah. mention um so you mentioned Vorpal. So I can't pass by this. Uh, there's a Vorpal blade in, in uh, D&D. Yeah. Uh, and I know you take a lot of inspiration from uh, that era of stuff. And uh, in particular, like Planescape and that sort of thing. Do you want to talk a little bit, just a little bit more about those, those roots and why those kind of inform your design? Or, or, or at least they, they inform the kind of world you want to build, the places you want to live, that sort of stuff. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons has been a constant in my life for, Lord, you know, forty years or something. Yeah, it it taught me to be a game designer, kind of more than anything else, because you have to do so much to make that game happen. As as the the DM, which I invariably was, you you know, you create a world, you create a system of rules, but then you also got to make sure the players are having fun because. If you make this elaborate world with all of this backstory and political intrigue and the players are like, I'm bored or I'm confused, you know, they're not going to see all of this great stuff you planned. And I think that taught me really early on that those three aspects of making a game, um, the, you know, the moment to moment, are players enjoying it? The, the, the world, the IP, and then kind of the nuts and bolts systems, like all three of those have to work in harmony. And if you just focus on one, it, you, it's not going to work out. Can you do one first and then go, okay, so can you say, here's, here's the loop and it's really fun. Man, this is fun. It almost doesn't matter the scenes or the settings or the themes or any of this. Then applying your settings and your themes and everything. I mean, is that a reasonable way for a team to move forward? I find that fascinating as a as a as just kind of an interesting process of where do you start oh, yeah. and then where do you Absolutely. start layering it? Right. Two quick examples. Like I was at Riot and I wasn't directly on the Valorant team, but I worked really closely with them. Like that game had no IP for a long time. It yeah. was dudes shooting. And eventually <laughs> they, you know, they focused on, well, we want to have these unique characters and we want to have this kind of fun alternate earth modern fantasy and and so that worked then you look at like spider-man 2 like they're like we're gonna make a spider-man game what does that mean and then they have to figure out what does a spider-man game mean and they're both excellent games and they started you know one started the ip one started with the the systems oh that's interesting yeah i didn't think about that if you have an established ip you work your way into the systems like i'm yeah you know what am i doing with these webs how how can i be creative and have more than just one web shoot and that's my only weapon or whatever as opposed and if to you've got other. a designer that's like, hey, I'm really having fun designing all these different guns. And you're like, dude, it's a Spider-Man game. Spider-Man's <laughs> not going to shoot the guns like wrong game. It, it, you know, it helps you focus and it helps you decide what's important and what's not important. That's really interesting. So is there anything else you can say about the fundamental, not mechanics, but the fundamental plan for the mechanics for the game at this point? You mentioned tab targeting earlier versus other methods of, of controlling characters and engaging in combat and with the world. Any of that settled on yet? I mean, we have direction. I, I don't like to be in a situation where we, you know, talk things to death for weeks and weeks. I prefer talk about it a little bit, implement it, try it out, and then decide, is this direction good or do we need to go back to the, the drawing board? So right. for the moment, we're, we're trying something that's very kind of tab targety because because we think that a lot of healers, like that's what they enjoy. And yeah, maybe you will get new players who've never healed before because they hate tab targeting, but the risk is you attract a lot of MMO healers to the game and then they're like, well, healing's not fun. And now you've lost all of those potential players. Um, so yeah, maybe it won't work, but that's, that's the direction we're going for now. Um, it will have a little more action combat than say world of Warcraft or final fantasy, but it's not, it's not God of war. It's not dark souls. It's not the, the difference we talk about sometimes is 
if you dodge, does that mitigate all the damage? Because if it does, then gear starts to matter a lot less and character uh, level yeah. starts to matter a lot less. So yeah. we want to have movement and action, but it can't be at the expense of a vertical progression as well. Now, as somebody has been through this um, multiple iterations of some of these concepts over the years, are you surprised how important um, cosmetics are in the industry now? Like it seems like it went from who cares about this to everyone cares about cosmetics. Everybody wants cool gear and they want a way to wear it and change it and make outfits and save those outfits. And just that whole thing seemed to kind of explode out of nowhere a little bit. Are you, are you a surprised by that and be prepared to feed that need? I'm not surprised by it. I mean, MMOs are a social game. So what's one of the things that's really important is, hey, I have this cool thing I want to show you or having like some stranger be like, oh, I love that cloak. Where did you get it? You know, that all of that stuff is really important. Um, Players like to express themselves. Players like to stand out from the crowd. Players like to say, like, this is my identity. I'm an edgelord or I'm into cute things or I have this mismatched look because because I don't care. Um, we're really prepared to embrace it. Um, we have building in the game that we're integrating into gameplay. A lot of time player housing is kind of an afterthought or just about cosmetics, but the fact that you can make houses or villages or or even fortresses gives us a lot of opportunity for players to say, and I want it to look like this. I want it to have cute curtains and flowers everywhere, or I want it to have heads on spikes and, you know, and black iron, I also think um, cosmetics are a very easy way to go to um, revenue streams, right? Mm -hmm. As a developer, you say, oh, well, I bet we could sell this. And no doubt we will do some of that, but I don't think you can do, you can't make it all just about who spent the money. Um, It's really fun when you find something rare and can show it off that you think other people will have a hard time getting, or it's a badge of honor because the content was really difficult and the reward was you know, this title or this suit of armor or that kind of thing. So that's a, we'll really, have a lot of cosmetics, but it's not all going to be on the store. Cosmetics. Sure. Sure. It's a real thin line to, to walk though, isn't it? Like knowing that art and uh, visuals are kind of a um, personal experience. People like stuff over other things that other people might like more. Uh, and so when they see something in the store, there's always going to be one person that says at least one or more that says, Oh man, why are they putting only the good stuff in the store? While others are saying, yeah. no, I, this questing gear I got, I think looks better than that crap in the store. So walking that line seems like it's, it's tricky. And this is obviously a thing you don't have to worry about now today, yeah. but um, you know, these sorts of things fascinate me because part of it is just the movement of the business. The industry is everybody's got a store. Everybody sells extra yeah. stuff. Players for the most part are okay with it to some degree. Now it's all about finding the degree and not overstepping, not understepping. Like, I I guess I don't envy that part. That sounds hard. You know, it's one of the reasons we hired a a business leader right away. Um, Often that's a role that comes in much later when you're like, okay, we think we have a game now. How do we make money? Mm. Um, Really early on, I wanted to make sure that that was integrated. So we thought about it. So we weren't trying to like add a business model on top of a game because it, it, we could make a free-to-play game with microtransactions and sell a bunch of cosmetics. I mean, that's that's League of Legends. It's sure. very successful. Sure. I don't think we're going to go that route. We're still experimenting, but I would be surprised if we went that route. But it it pushes your your design in different directions. Yeah, that's so. It's, so it's helpful to decide early on that like what is our basic business model and how do we want to how do we want to and and it, it's icky to talk about making money, but you know. I have a team. I have to pay them. So pay them. we want yeah. to make sure that there is a business model there. We're not just doing this out of the goodness of our hearts. Right. We all wish we could just make video games and everyone could play them. And you know, what a utopian yeah. ideal, but I don't think we live in that right. time or ever have. Yeah. Now um, the advantage is we don't have, uh, you know, an EA and Activision and Microsoft saying, Hey, we have to make quarterly earnings. So you need to, you know, you need to make a new cosmetic to stick in the shop because we've got to, you know, hit our targets or something like that. Um, I think one of these questions is a really interesting one we got from a listener. I'm going to, I'm going to throw this one at you right now. This is from Tanner who sent in a text to 801-471-0462. You can use that number, by the way, to send texts and voicemails for the show. So please use it again. 801-471-0462. Won't cost you anything. It's just a normal number. Uh, and this is what he said. Hi, Greg and Scott. I'm very excited for whatever you all have brewing. As someone who knows absolutely nothing about what you're working on other than it's an MMO, 
What is your elevator pitch that you would use to set you apart from everybody else? Thanks, Tanner. I would add to this, not that you guys need to, your job is not to make sure you separate yourselves from everybody else. I mean, we're all kind of, you know, we're all gamers. We like lots of different kinds of games. Aside from that, though, what do you think your distinctions are going to be? The, the big one for us is the fact that we have kind of two different types of play spaces, which is an attempt to solve a big problem that we see in the genre, which is what is the role of other players, particularly, particularly randos, you know, strangers. If you take the strangers out of the game, well, you don't really have an MMO anymore. You have an RPG. You have something that looks mm. like Dungeons and Dragons. And that may yeah. be a fine game, but I, I think a lot of people would reject it as an MMO. Sure. On the other hand, those strangers can, you know, they can often get in the way. Like you're a role player and you're staging a wedding and some Yahoo comes, you know, dancing through the middle. That's not awesome. Or you're trying to, you know, set up some kind of organized PVP and now new people join and, and throw off the balance. That's not awesome. And one of the big things it does is the presence of other players makes the world feel very not alive because you need to make sure the quest giver is there for the next player. You need to make sure the boss responds for the next player. You can't chop down a forest or other players won't have any trees, you know? Mm. And so we, it's not really an elevator pitch, so I'm going into a lot of, of, of detail here, but the the fact that we have the blue shards, which are for your friends, or who they don't have to be friends, but you control the gate, you control who comes in. It is, sure. You can say, nobody comes in, this is my private playground, or you can say, I want to have a lot of people in, and because I'm creating this fun, you know, exciting situation for them. And then you have the red shards, which are more conventional MMO zones, where you might ask for help on a particularly tough quest, or the boss might be down, but hopefully will respond shortly thereafter because of a bunch of you standing around waiting for it. And yeah. that's where you get the sense of community and the the kind of fun unpredictability that can happen from having like lots and lots of players in a in a space together. Uh, we can just call this a, a tall building where the elevator took uh, more floors yeah. than normal. It's a fine elevator pitch. I have no problem with it. Let me ask you this though. Like, um, I, I really like your heads at where your heads at with that because it, um, all of that makes sense. Like, you want to support solo players, small groups, people who want to do certain things, like try to give that world to those people. That makes sense to me. Um, do you, do you guys worry or how should I put it? Is this, is it important for you guys to find out or figure out the best way for strangers to play together and achieve, um, a level of friendliness that right now is more prevalent in games like Final Fantasy 14 than they are in WoW. You always hear this, and it's true in my experience. When I play FF14, people in dungeons, if I mess up, it's my first time through, whatever, they're very kind. They're like, oh, it's no big deal. It's your first time. Let's go again. I'll explain it. Yeah. We do it again. They help me with the mechanics. We go through it. In World of Warcraft, less so. It's usually you'll get kicked or someone's like, what's what's with the noob or whatever. Yeah. Um, some of this is stereotype, but it's, but it's based on real experiences a lot of people have had, myself included. So I guess what I'd say is, obviously, everybody, Blizzard included, would like a world where everybody gets along in their game. Do you have to do much thinking at this stage to try to aim it that way? Oh, yeah, you have to do a ton of thinking. I mean, it's mm. a lot of it comes down to a million little decisions that kind of drive the community into one direction or another. And I can, I can give you a couple of examples. Um, in World of Warcraft, if and I love World of Warcraft. I pick on it a lot because I'm very familiar with its, with its shortcomings, but sure. it's a great game. Um, if you're farming ore and you see another player, you should probably go find a different place to farm ore because you're going to be competing with that person all the time, and that kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, in... I mean, I worked a lot on Dungeon Finder. This is my fault, right? But <laughs> if you're in Dungeon Finder and you have a tank that just can't get it, well, why don't you drop the tank and get a new tank? Because Dungeon Finder will give you another tank. Maybe tank's a bad example because sometimes take a little while. But sure. if you get rid of your 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 mage, Dungeon Finder is going to find another DPS in seconds. So there's less motivation to kind of figure it out and make it work. Whereas I remember running like some of the harder... Um, Burning Crusade heroic dungeons, you would die a lot. And so you would sit there with the group and be like, okay, what can we do better? What can we do differently? And you would you would strategize and you would you would think about it. Right. Candace on our team calls this benevolence, where <laughs> you want 
running into other players is a good thing. You're happy to see other players. And um, Guild Wars did a really good job of saying, we're going to make this really important in our game, that running into another player should always be positive and never be a bad thing. And so we're really trying to embrace that, like particularly in the city and the red zones where you will run into a lot of randos that you're happy when you do because it will make the game easier or you'll get better loot or you'll have more fun if there's other players around. Candace is a good influence on the team, by the way. I like her a lot. She's good. Yeah, she's awesome. she was a great hire. Very happy to have her. Yeah, she's great. Um, we got another question here. Oh, somebody in the chat said something interesting. Let's see if I can find it. Um, oh, and wow, hardcore, everyone is super friendly. And I wonder sometimes if that feeling is because there's a rarefied, uh, we're all in this together because we're all going to die if we don't kind of thing. So, So yeah. maybe some of this is just the systems are built around having the right kind of risks or the right kinds of rewards or risk reward um, ratios so that people feel invested in making sure everybody gets a chance, has a, has an opportunity. Uh, and if they fail, well, it's, it's not our fault, but we kind of are all in this together. Like those sorts of notions, it sounds like they just would be really hard to balance with also trying to make things convenient, like just swap out your tank, swap out your healer. Yeah. Uh, and, and I difficulty so I, for sure is is a big part of that. I also think it's around pacing. Like original vanilla WoW was kind of a slow game. I mean, faster than maybe EverQuest, but you weren't going to get a new piece of loot very often. And you might ride a, run a dungeon several times to get the item you want. Whereas over time, we we got to the point where players were kind of expecting to get a new blue item maybe every day, maybe every dungeon. Hmm. And so that really pushes the community towards efficiency. Yeah. Um, like the most, the most valuable skill in World of Warcraft is efficiency. And maybe the second one is, is game knowledge. So when another player is making you less efficient, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah, that stuff's complicated because now you're dealing with sociology. You almost need to hire yeah. a sociologist on the, on the team. <laughs> I thought about it. I, yeah. I would love to hire an architect, like a real architect to help us make buildings and part of our IP. And there's a lot we could talk about the IP. That's probably a whole episode or two yeah. um we really want to have like high fashion be a thing rather than a bunch of peasants dressed in rags we really want even the npcs to look awesome so i think we'll probably hire like a you know a fashion designer or someone who's an expert in costumes and not you know our artists can be wonderful at it but just to help level them up a little bit i love that idea uh, Overbite on Twitter slash X asks this question. Great to see a new studio making MMOs, especially one with the pedigree of Ghostcrawler. Are there any plans to create any non-MMO games from the studio? Probably way too early for this, but, you know, potentially maybe. No, I mean, the answer is no. And and I think that's a really important answer because, again, it's about, it's about focus. And right now, the studio is making Ghost. And if Ghost is successful, will we make another game? Like, yes, that would be wonderful. Will we d- dabble in different genres? Will we do comic books? All of that stuff. Yes, asterisk, Ghost has to work first. Right. And I've seen, I mean, even Blizzard and Riot struggled with this a little bit of seeing the shiny object and saying like, oh, well, we're also going to do this. Or we're also going to do this. And, you know, let's make TV shows and let's make games that we have no experience making because because we love those games as players. Um so right now we're basically the studio that makes Ghost, and if we're successful, wonderful, then we'll we'll branch out. We'll talk then, yeah. I think yeah. that's a great way to do it. You know, eat what's in front of you. You know, yeah. That's what my mom used to say. <laughs> um, I have a voicemail that's a little weird, but I'm going to play it. Um, I think it's actually a good question. You touched on this a bit in the uh, the AMA, so some of this might be a little redundant, but I thought the way that they sent the question in was was fun. So anyway, okay. here it is. Hi, Greg and Scott. My name is SteadyAim24. I am sending this message via an AI voice generator for a reason. I wanted to ask you what your team thinks about AI-assisted development, everything from NPC voices to terrain generation. I know you guys touched on it in your AMA, but wanted to see if you had any further thoughts on the ups and downs of using machine learning AI models in game development. Thanks. All right. A great way to ask that question, I think. That's so funny. Yeah, it's, AI, right? it's pretty good, right? Uh, so, so I mean, you've had some time since the AMA to kind of mull this around a little bit. I, I assume, uh, I'll, just, I'll just get this out of my system. I assume that because AI and artificial intelligent routines have existed in video games for a long time, you know, you're playing Halo, you want the enemies to behave in ways that are convincing, 
that's a little bit of AI. Uh, it's the old kind, not maybe machine learning or, you know, generative, generative models or all this stuff. But still, you know, we're getting computers to do our bidding, right? It seems to me that if, if the op- opportunity was there for you to say, all right, we got to create a continent and we need to fill it with content. First things first, it needs ground trees, mountains, hills, valleys, rivers, it makes a lot of sense for, for us from a, someone who, who would be in charge of that workflow to want tools that could help blow all that stuff out immediately and then go back. And I know Unreal 5 does a lot of this anyway, but then go back and tweak it, make it yours, uh, yeah. make it more, more, more sense, better balance, whatever. That, that stuff makes sense to me. I think what people are mostly worried about, if I, if, if I had to read the tea leaves on this call and others that have talked to me, it's they're worried that NPCs will all be not real actors, uh, that you will do content or quests that are generated by a machine that it thinks are really creative and fun, but the player will be able to tell, well, this is chat GPT telling me to go kill 10 goblins, and I can yeah. tell. That kind of stuff, like where I guess where are your heads at since the AMA and 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 the, since we're in the midst of this AI freakout that we all live in, uh, I'd love to get your take. I mean, AI, yeah, AI freakout is a good term for it. I think AI will change this industry. How it's going to change it, I think, is a little early to tell, and I think it's hard. You know, people are making bold predictions, both in terms of, oh, you're going to be able to make a game with ten people, or oh, we're no longer going to have voice actors or artists because AI will do it. I mean, I don't know if we'll end up at either of those extremes. Hopefully not. In the short term, there are areas that AI is really helpful for. One of those, like you said, is is terrain generation. And I'm not even talking about, okay, AI, make me a level. It's more about hand painting each individual flower on a hillside is a a thankless and sometimes even impossible job. Like, Horizon Zero Dawn does a lot of procedural generation of their terrain because there's so much of it. And it's, right. you know, it's beautiful. It's not, it's still a human at the, you know, behind the scenes um, directing it. Another example is I know the guy, and I'd love to hire him, who um, animated the, if you've seen Coco, the, the Pixar movie, spoilers for Coco, but because it's a Day of the Dead themed movie, there's a marigold bridge that takes them to the underworld. And the marigold bridge is made of moving flowers and there's thousands or millions of them. That would be very, very unrealistic for an artist to hand animate. So it's, that's where you use AI to say like, make this bridge look beautiful. I'll give you a lot of parameters. Yeah, um, nobody was complaining about particle generation when they exactly exactly yeah yeah it's in the world same of warcraft kind of one of the 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 really crappy jobs the level designers is to go make the the continental shelf where you go out into the water a little bit and there's a shelf and then eventually it, it drops down to the oh, ocean right, floor right and there's rarely a lot of gameplay there but you know players will see it like someone's going to go into the ocean so it can't just be like a straight polygon down so usually it would be like the lead level designers who would take the very not fun task of going in and just adding some hand drawn cliffs and stuff there. That seems like a great job for AI. Mm. Um, yep. When I'm, so one of the, we have to wear a lot of hats right now at the studio. And one of the things I like to do is, is create monsters. Um, so that I, I find it fun. I've had a lot of practice doing it. And when I, when I come up with something new, I do use AI to like get a very rough idea of what I'm talking about. Like if I'm making, um, a, I'm not making, we're not, we don't have minotaurs, but imagine we had a minotaur. You could have a very noble looking tauren, or you could have a kind of like scraggly, scary looking, um, you know, monster from, from, from like God of War or something. Sure. And using mid journey or something to get a very rough draft for our actual concept artists of, Hey, this is kind of what I was thinking about is really helpful. It's much faster than me drawing it myself or getting the concept artist to make that very early sketch. And then the concept artist will come up with something awesome. And, and that's what we'll actually use. Um, and then like one more example, people talk a lot about NPC banter. I, I Josh Sawyer is a, you know, really smart designer at, um, on a lot of RPGs had a tweet recently where he said, do you really want lots and lots of NPCs to say kind of not interesting things? Because that's what you get when you mm. give them all 
AI yeah. generated. Dialogue. I follow like, him too. Come he's up with a cool quest for you. He's you know? an amazing follow, by the way. Uh, yes. The reason I even started following is I played Pentiment. He's a game he headed for. Um, uh, shoot, Obsidian, uh, yeah. Obsidian, right? Yeah. Amazing game, incredible game. And speaking of a game that relies so heavily on artists uh, to, to do its thing. Yeah. And dialogue, like dialogue is everything in Pentiment. And yeah. if you just talk to some random monk and it was just AI, I, you know, it wouldn't work for that game. Yeah. I just think there's a lot of confusion out there about, um, you know, look, I, I, half of my businesses I draw, I illustrate, I do comics yeah. and cartoons. <laughs> like I understand this fear of, Oh, the machine's going to do it for me. I totally get it. But what's actually happening and why I think this is a good discussion to have. And, and I'm glad that it came up today is, um, there's new. There's so much nuance to it. People think it's yeah. just make a thing and it makes a thing and you're done. That isn't how any of this works. And you could say, well, what if it gets better? Well, it will get better. But as yeah. that gets better, our use cases for it gets better. Those machines will always be slaves to our creative needs. Trust me. That's how it's going <laughs> to go. I'm sure of it. But anyway, that's... Uh, I mean, that's for our studio, we're going to hire a lot of writers. We're going to hire a lot of artists. Um Shanti, who leads our, our IP team, had a really good idea that when we show concept art like we did in the AMA, we're going to put you're going to credit the artist on there. That way, you know, oh, that was a human who did that. And that human gets to take a little bit of pride in their work. Sure. Why were you called Death Shrimp? One final question. Somebody asked. Uh, they didn't leave a name. It's anonymous. Why were you called Death Shrimp when you worked at an ensemble? I mean, ensemble, like many companies, you know, <laughs> nobody posts under the real name. You have to have like a cool handle. And I, you know, we talked about when I was an oceanographer, I studied, I studied crustaceans. And one of my favorite crustaceans is the mantis shrimp. If you don't know what a mantis shrimp is, go Google it. They're awesome. Yeah. So I, I named myself death shrimp after the mantis shrimp. Cause you don't know what a mantis shrimp is. The word mantis is kind of weird in there yeah. with the shrimp. Yeah. Um, weirdly, I had to drop that name when I went to blizzard because to post on the forums at the time you had to make an account with that name mm. and someone had already taken death shrimp probably oh. because of me. So rather than like, taking that name away from them, which by the way, we ended up doing for ghost crawler at riot many years later. Um, I just picked something new. Really? So yeah. somebody had your ghost crawler name. I mean, that's only fair. You should get it. You should get it. It's ghost a crawler. tough question because like that was also that person's identity and like, yeah, most likely they had picked the name because of me, but at the same time we did take it from them. And I kind of have mixed feelings about whether that was the right thing to do or not. Maybe the other hand, like, I hate the thought that, Oh, am I going to dabble in blue sky? Well, I better go claim ghost crawler because someone else is going to. So. <laughs> right. You don't want anyone to take it from you. I understand. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you all, uh, for sending all these questions in everybody. Keep them coming. I know I've seen some really good ones in the chat. Um, some of them we've addressed many we haven't. So if you did not get an answer here today during our first episode, please text us 801-471-0462. The shorter you keep them, the more likely they will uh -huh. be here. Same with voicemails. We just like to be nice and efficient if we can. Um, and we love hearing from you. So like, on the, you know, you hear about Greg and his studio wanting to be very player focused, player feedback focused, very front facing with players. We want to be that for this monthly show with listeners as well. Uh, we want to hear what you think. We want to hear the kind of questions you have. Even if you think they're hard ones, ask them anyway. All right. No holding back. He's off if the leash. If you have concerns or there's things you hate, like we would love to hear that too. That's part of it. Absolutely. Unless it's like, I hate Scott's voice. Get another host. Well, then forget <laughs> it. I'm, I won't be sharing that one. Um, but yeah, I look forward to it because we love getting this kind of stuff. A couple of important uh, pieces of business. The website you want to for sure have bookmarked and handy on all your uh, personal devices is fantasticpixelcastle.com. Uh, links to everything that happens with the game and uh, around the game and this show and other stuff. You're going to find links to everything you need. It'll always be kind of your home base. So make sure you go do that. Fantasticpixelcastle.com. It's a very nice website, by the way. I don't know who did this for you guys, but it's awesome. Is it somebody awesome. on team? It was, it was a, it was a co collaborative effort. I'll put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nettie's helped, but um, you know, the, the artists and, and John on the business side helped a ton too. It's awesome. It's really, really a great first impression. Um, and again, keep those texts and emails coming 801-471-0462. If you're looking for podcast related info, frogpants.com slash street is where you can go right now. And I'm working on getting all of the podcast directories all sorted out. I'm waiting on a few of them. The big ones, like, I don't know what's taken Apple so long, but Apple podcast, Spotify, uh, Google's new YouTube music thing. Cause they stopped doing Google podcasts. Uh, who else? Uh, overcast, all those guys. Just trying to make it real easy for wherever you get your shows, you'll be able to hear this one easily. If you're looking for the VODs for all of this, links to all that will be there as well. Frog, frogpants.com slash 
Street. All right. I hope that made sense to everybody. Greg, this has been a massive pleasure to do this with you. Yeah, I can't wait to do it again. And I, I, I would love to bring, you know, more of the studio. You can hear their stories as well and why they signed up on this this crazy adventure. Oh, I can't wait. We're going to have, so to give people a little sneaky preview, we're going to have artists. We're going to hear from Brian Holinka, another semi-celebrity over there uh, prior or previously at Blizzard. One of my favorite people over there. So I'm really stoked to get him on here. Um, uh, various creators within the studio. You're going to find out how this sausage is made. And you're going to do it on a monthly basis. Our very next episode will be uh, the 14th, I believe, next month. Yeah, same time, 14th of December. Uh, we'll get you right. We'll get you all in right before Christmas. That's crazy to think about. Uh, and we'll be here again, talking again, and uh, hopefully taking more of your feedback. Greg, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you in a month. Get more at frogpants.com.